0: If you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand to honor God's word. Genesis 14 is a story about the strong and about the vulnerable, about the strong and the vulnerable. I want you to see them. Genesis 14, I'm going to begin in verse eight and read through the rest of the passage. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out. And they joined battle in the valley of Sidim with Cader-Lamer, king of Elam, Tidal king of Goim, Amraphel king of Shinar, and Ariok king of Elisar, Four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled... Some fell into them and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. I just want to pause and tell you the title of the sermon. Is someone's coming to take him back. We just heard the bad guys come and take. Someone's coming to take him back. Verse 13. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskol and of Anar. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants and defeated them and pursued them to Haba, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the, their possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions. And the women and the people, they all came back. After his return from the defeat of Cedar and the kings who were with him and the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shabbat. That is the king's valley and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap of anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, after all of that, uh, let me just tell you from the get-go that I'm hoping that this story will Actually increase your Christmas spirit. And to just try to get us there right away, I want to just say two words. Scott Farkas. Y'all know Scott Farkas? He was that yellow-eyed bully in a Christmas story. You know, the guy who wore the fox skin hat. The one who had a toady next to him, Grover Dill. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, let me just tell you, the main character, Ralphie's little brother, was so scared of Scott Farkas that he fell down and couldn't even stand back up again. Scott Farkas is so terrifying He made Ralphie's buddies cry uncle every time he saw him. And one day, Ralphie had enough. And he took Scott Farkas down. (laughs) This is my maybe pitiful, I'm feeling like it's a pretty pitiful attempt at this point to just tell you that bullies... Sometimes are a part of the Christmas story. Genesis 14 is about a bunch of bullies. It's about what they take. And it's about someone coming to take them back. So if you have any familiarity with the concept of bullying. Bullying. I think you want to hear what this passage has to say. I'm going to summarize it for you in a sentence. The Lord wins back what the world's taken. It's the point of this passage. And therefore, it's the point of this sermon. The Lord wins back what the world's taken. There are two halves to this story. And the first one is really just set up for the second Point number one comes in verses 1 through 12. Point number one is the world takes. The world takes. Now, I probably need to explain to you why it is. I'm calling this bunch of bullies the world. I think they represent the world. Well, let's look at them. First, let's look at Cato L'Amour. See, I don't know. I should just... Anyone else know how to... Anyone live back then and know how to pronounce that exactly right? No, you didn't either. Okay. Cador, we'll call him that. He's the Scott Farkas of this gang of bullies. He's the king of Elam. And and we know he's the, he's the Scott Farkas. He's the leader of the, the, the group because he's the one who singled out in verse 4 about how all these other people were supposed to serve him. He's the one who comes out in war in verse 5 as well. And so what I want to draw your attention to is in verse 1, he's not the first one mentioned. And I think there's a reason for this. When we're introduced to the bullies, the first person who's mentioned is the king of Shinar. You see that? Shinar is Babel. This is why it's mentioned first. Babel is the place where all the world, remember? All the world gathered in rebellion against the Lord just a few chapters before this in Genesis chapter 11. So we're introduced, this gang right here, is the world that is against the Lord. Babylon, throughout the Bible, is symbolic of this. And so are these bullies. Four kings in a racket together of bullying. Cador and his coalition, well, you can think of it this way. They're taking all the lunch money of all the kids, In all the area. In that day, bully kings, what they would do is they would take from these lesser peoples, these lesser tribes, these lesser countries. They would take from them a tribute, which was an amount of money to keep the bullies from giving them a beating. And the bullies plan is just working swimmingly, it says, for 12 years. For 12 years, back in verse 4. For 12 years, this, is, this plan is working. The bullying is keeping the people at bay. But then, a group of five kings, including the king of Sodom. Well, they decide that they're tired of going hungry during lunch. So they don't want to keep paying off Kedor. So it says in verse 4, they stopped serving him. In the thirteenth year. That's what that means. They stopped giving him money to pay him off. I think what he's thinking. The king of Sodom and his four friends. I think what they're thinking is. Hey look we're five. They're four. That make sense? They've got four kings on their side. We've got five kings on ours. They're thinking we can take them. Well. Just to keep in our. Illustration here, five Randys, the little brother of Ralphie, five Randys aren't going to take down Scott Farkas' gang. And that's what this amounts to. The bullies, in verses 5 through 7, you could say they send a message throughout the school district. And the surprise, Mr. Superintendent, is where they start to send the message first. Uh, you, you would think that they would uh, maybe go to Graham High School and, and send a message to the big guys there, or, or maybe they would they would uh, they would go to Pioneer Elementary and start there. But they go way higher than all of them. The first message that they send is to NCTC's college students. You could say. The first one they attack is who's called the Rephaim. And they are described later as giants. That's how bad these four kings are. They fight and they defeat the giants. And then they make this tour all around the area, beating up everybody in verses 5 through 7. They take down the giants and the Rephaim. Then they go to the Zuzim. Then they go to the Emim. And then they go to the Horites. And they beat them up. And then they hand a beaten down to an enmesh pat. And then they defeated all the country of Amalekites and the Amorites. Knuckle sandwiches for all of them. And all of that happens. Before they come and they whip. The five kings who've gathered together in the valley of Sidim. It says. In verse 11, so the enemy in this way took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot. The world, in other words, takes. The world takes. And what this is teaching us is if you don't go along with the world taking from you, they're just going to come back and take some more. Now, all this bullying and even that failed rebellion of the five kings, it really is just set up for what is about to happen. Now, when Moses' first readers were hearing this story for the first time, they would be thinking of their bully. They would be applying this message to their thoughts of Egypt and Pharaoh. So even as we read, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that this fallen world has bullied all of us. I don't think any of us is unfamiliar with the idea that the strong terrorizes the vulnerable. I mean, who hasn't at some point in your life had the cool kid make fun of your failures? We've all experienced how the Lord's very good world, which is how the book starts, has gone very wrong. And Genesis 14 is coming to remind us that the Lord knows that the world takes. And he's going to do something about it. There's another movie called Taken. I'm not promoting this movie any more than I'm promoting A Christmas Story. Uh, but Taken is this awful depiction of, I think, our world. They're these bullies. And they take young girls. And then addict those girls to drugs. And then force them into prostitution. The most famous scene in the movie is when they They take one girl in particular. And she happens to be on the phone with her dad. And the bad guy picks up the phone. And then the dad says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills Skills I have acquired over a very long career. If you let my daughter go now, I will not look for you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And then, well, he basically says, I'm coming to take her back. And then, the bad guy, who's thinking, no one can stop us. He just says, good luck. Spoiler alert, um, the dad came and he took her back. They didn't know who they had taken. And that was the problem. Verse 11, they or verse 12, they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother this is is not just a story that we're reading in genesis 14 it's not just a story like a christmas story or or even taken which which really rings true with a lot of truth this one actually is totally true the world takes but also the lord wins point number two The Lord wins. That's in verses 13 through 24. The badness of the bullies. And they're bad. The the defeat of Sodom. The taking of Lot. All of that is background to this point. The Lord wins back what the world has taken. You hear these words from uh, this man, Melchizedek, this king of Salem, priest of God, most high in verse 19, where he says, blessed be Abram, who has been blessed by God, most high and blessed be God, most high, because he's the one who delivered your enemies into your hands. It's the Lord who wins and he wins back what the, lo- the world has taken One of the key themes throughout the book of Genesis is this very thing. The Lord is so high that it doesn't matter how big and bad the bad guys are, no matter how evil they are, the Lord is constantly bringing out blessing in the midst of that kind of wickedness. And the Lord, at this point in our story, is doing all of his good through his man, this man that he chose named Abram. Genesis 14 is highlighting for us the foolishness of what we saw last week in Genesis 13. When Lot had the pick of the land and what he chose, he said, I'm going to go anywhere I want. I'm going to Sodom. And here we are in Genesis 14 and we see just how foolish you were for picking Sodom. But he is Abram's kinsman still. Friends, this story is telling you this. If you distance yourself from the man that the Lord chose, you are only hurting yourself. This happens to Lot and it's happening still today. Lot, by God's grace, has Abram for an uncle and the Lord is going to do all of his work in winning back what the world has taken through his man, Abram. Abram also has a little bit of help. Verse 14, Abram, we're told, makes up this militia of 318 trained men. Now, the the fact that Abram, who left everything behind in his homeland... And at this point in the story now has 318 fighting men in his household. All of that is highlighting the fact that just in a couple of chapters, the Lord has blessed this man greatly. But I think the main thing we're to see whenever we see 318 men is not enough. That's not enough. That's not enough to take down these giant killing bullies. No way can these few people stand against them. But if we are opening our Bibles, let's just remember what happens a few books later when 300 people should not have been enough for Gideon to take down 134, 135,000 enemies. And we turn a few more pages and we would be reminded that 400 people shouldn't have been enough for David to take back all that the Amalekites had taken. Just mark this down, church. Not enough is plenty if the Lord comes with you. And the Lord is coming with the one who is coming to take everything back. Abram, we're told in verse 15, is not only God's choice man. He's also a wise warrior. Verse 15, he takes these 318 men. He's going to attack the big bad guys in the middle of the night. He divides them up. He's wise, just deploying them where they need to be. And then it says in verse 16, and then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Now, back then. If you did this sort of thing and had that kind of victory. If you were a warrior and you went off to battle impossible odds and you won all that was taken back, well, you would come home and you would be honored. It's not so different from that parade that the city of Arlington held recently when the Texas Rangers came back after winning the World Series. Well, that's what we have here in verses 17 through the rest of the chapter. There's a meeting of these kings in the king's valley. We have, first of all, the king of Sodom. And then we have the king of Salem. And they've come there because they understand to the winner goes the spoils. The spoils of war. They're going to offer them to Abram because he's one. And what they choose to offer Abram is really telling. and Part of the point of the story, the king of Salem, this Melchizedek, he offers to Abram blessing. I think we should be wondering at this point, whenever Abram goes and he beats the unbeatable bully, We should be wondering, is he going to become proud? And so Melchizedek comes in and he gives these faith building words. You have won because you've been blessed by God. It's God who has handed your enemies into your hand. You could not have done this apart from the Lord. That's what the king of Salem offers to Abram. The king of Sodom doesn't offer a blessing He offers a barter. He tries to make a deal. He's going to thank Abram. And he has reason to thank Abram because Abram has just whooped up on the bullies who the king of Sodom could not defeat. And has returned the people of Sodom to the king. So the deal he tries to make in verse 21 is you give me the people, I'll give you the money the question is, is he going to be like the bully? Is he going to be greedy? Is Abram going to turn here and try to take more than the Lord has given him? Will he accept the bribe from Sodom? Now, it's important for us to remember who Sodom is. I think Abram knows exactly who he's dealing with. Don't forget how last chapter we were told how we should think of the people of Sodom. We are to think of the people of Sodom as wicked sinners against the Lord. This is the king of the world in some sense, the king of Sodom. And Abram recognizes that. So his response to the king of Sodom is very different. He says in verse 22, I've lifted my hand to the Lord. I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that you offer me. I want you to imagine this moment. Imagine World Series MVP, whose name I had to, I had to look up. I'm just going to tell you right now, Corey Speaker. Is that how you say it? I don't know. But imagine him. I can imagine him. Imagine him at that parade. And the mayor of Arlington hands him a key to the city. And then Corey spits in his face. That's what's happening here from Abram to the king of Sodom. Whereas when when Melchizedek, the king of Salem, offers him those blessed words. And Melchizedek, by the way, is so important. I'm not really dealing with him very much here, but Lord willing, I'm going to. Preach a whole sermon on him next week, but Abram in verse twenty, he responds to this king of Salem, and the blessing by giving the priest a tithe, giving him a tenth of all that he has, and and I think he's doing more than just modeling for us, you know, the honor that is due worship leaders. Abram is. Demonstrating a principle. This this is what his giving to Melchizedek says. You could could apply this to anything you give to the Lord. Everything we need is going to come from the Lord. That's what, when Melchizedek says, He's given you everything you need, then Abram says, I'll give 10% to you. He's reflecting this idea. I don't have to keep hold of everything I've got because the Lord has given me everything and he'll keep on giving to me. He's also saying to the king of Sodom, we don't need anything that the world offers us. We won't take anything from the world. You have nothing to give me, world, because the Lord gives me everything that I need. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I believe what Melchizedek says. And his words are like like, timely delivered to him. I mean, you need someone like Melchizedek in your life. When when things go really well, you need to be reminded it was the Lord who did it. And it provides this opportunity for him to believe it. So that when more is given to uh, uh, Abram, he says, I'm not taking anything from the world. The Lord will give me everything I need. Well, I wonder if it would surprise you if I said, actually, that this whole story... What we see in Abram's trust. What we see in Abram. Taking on bullies. That, it, that it's actually just a setup. For someone else. As the story of the Bible goes on. All. Of God's people. Are taken. They're taken. By what the Bible calls a strong man. Satan, the God of this world. Not just a king in the world, but the God of this world. Has taken all of God's people. And is holding them. Because they are now willful sinners and servants of him. All of God's people. Are taken with the world. Not just by the world. We're we're all attracted to The things of this world. All of God's people. Are also taken by the world in sorrow. And so we come back to Micah chapter five. That Christmas passage that started. With the call to muster your troops. Like get your dedicated men together. Because we're going to war. It says, Bethlehem, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little, who are not enough to be from the people of kings. From you will come one who is to be king, whose coming forth is from of old, who is ancient. And then when he comes. It says this promise of our savior who we celebrate, especially at Christmas and his birth. When he comes, he's going to take back, it says in Micah, the rest of his brothers. He will fight in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the Lord, his God, he will trust and all of his people will be safe again. And he will be great to the ends of the earth. What Micah 5 tells us to expect about Christmas is that someone's coming to take him back. You can say amen there. Amen. What Christmas is about is someone's coming to take God's people back. When God the Son came, he came to win back what the Lord or what the world had taken. And when he came, you know that he had some help. He had a few dedicated men. And over time, as as Jesus ministered, dozens of dedicated men and women started to follow him in the mission that he had been sent to do. And yet the world took. The world took from Jesus. Even those who would help. One by one. They fall away. The God of this world. Satan himself. Not only tempts Jesus. But the God of this world. Takes one disciple in particular. Who then offers Jesus up. And a religious and judicial gang in this world. Takes from Jesus. His claim of being faithful and devoted to the Lord. And they accuse him of blasphemy for claiming to be God. They took his boldest lieutenant, Peter. They take him away just when the battle is starting to heat up. And then they bring Jesus before Pontius Pilate. And then they took the crowd's affection away from him. And they all join in in calling out for his death. The world takes. And the Romans then join in. They take Jesus's honor away. They give him the worst beating that criminals were allowed to be given. They take his. Honor away when they then covered him with a ratty cloak and a crown of thorns. They took then his dignity away by stripping him bare. And, you know, they weren't done then. They came and they take some more. They took his right to live away on a cruel cross. So, Jesus, he may have been helped. Like Abram. By a few. Early on. But he came. To take back. All by himself. Little did they know. That worldly gang of bullies. Who. They were killing. On that cross. Little did they know. What he was doing. When they were killing him. But we know. Jesus says he was entering into the house of a bully. And he was going to bind him. It had to be him. It had to be him. All by himself. Only he could get in that house. Only he could take on the biggest bully of all. The devil. Only he was not. Already taken by the devil. Only he was not in bondage to the world. Only he was not in bondage to sin. Only he was not deserving of death. Only he could bind the bully. And he told us what he was going to do when they killed him. He said, when I am lifted up. The devil's going down. And God, after his son died, gave him what his son waited on God alone to give him. He gave him a crown. He raised him from the dead. And now Jesus Christ is taking back all the people that sin and death and the devil had taken from him. And what that means is, if you've come here and you're realizing, by the grace of God, that you have been taken with the world. I don't just mean taken by the world. I believe you, like all of us, have experienced sorrow and suffering in this fallen world, but you've been taken with the world. You've been attracted to the world. You have rejected the Lord. You have lived for yourself. And now you regret it. And now you know. You don't have the power. To stop it. You need. A savior. And I'm telling you. Jesus Christ came. To take back. What the world has taken. And he can have you too. Turn from your sins. And trust in him alone. And you will be. His. Those who do trust him, I want to give you in closing a reason why you and I should rejoice this Christmas. And and to rejoice and have joy even when we feel the world's bullying and taking. I'm feeling that in several ways but i'm feeling even how the world takes fun away this preacher's preaching up here just having to accept the fact that one of my daughters is not going to get to dance And like my favorite day of the year it's like she broke her foot right before the recital i know the world takes and i also i i do know that the world takes A lot more from us than strong bones and the joy that comes from watching our loved ones perform. It can be hard to celebrate during Christmas when what you're feeling is just how much the world has taken from you. I mean, it could be as simple as the, the world taking financial security from you. Or as more Complicated as the world taking peace from relationships. Or dealing with the reality that you're not just a victim in that kind of scenario. But that we are part of that world. That in our own sinful rebellion against the Lord. That means we too can bully people. We can mistreat the people that we are called to love. Even if that's as simple as as being slow to forgive People are unforgiving altogether. The world takes. Yet even when you feel it this Christmas, you can rejoice. Even if what you're feeling is the world taking your loved ones. Sometimes the world takes loved ones at a tragically young age. And sometimes the world takes loved ones slowly after long battles with dementia. The world takes and we can rejoice because even when we experience the sting of the bullies, attacks, Christmas, reminds us. Someone came to take me back. And he won. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is good news to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who fulfills everything in your word. And is a savior who cannot be beaten. We thank you and are amazed that what he came to win back. Was us, his church, his people. We pray that we would give him the glory and the worship and the honor that he is due. And we ask all this in his name. Amen.